0: Now, if you'll turn with me to 1 John, in 1 John chapter 2, verses 7 through 11 this morning.
1: Beloved, I am writing you no
0: new commandment, but an old commandment that you had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have heard. At the same time, it is a new commandment that I'm writing to you abides forever. Let's pray as we come to God's Word this morning. Father, we do ask that you would open our eyes today to see wonderful things from your law, that we would see the truth, that your Word would be a, a, a lamp and a light to our feet, to our path. That by the work of your Spirit, you would illumine us and, and give us wisdom and insight and convict us where necessary. Lord, I pray that you would Give me strength that you would fill me with your spirit to, to speak in a way that um, is encouraging, uplifting, that, that uh, shines a spotlight on the glory of the gospel and on the love of Christ. Lord, work these things today in our hearts and in our minds. We pray for your glory and for our good and joy. Amen. One of the more recognizable pop songs, maybe in, in history, or at least the lyrics and maybe even the tune, is not surprisingly by the Beatles. Um, I'm not going to try and sing it, but all you need is love, all you need is love, all you need is love, love, love is all you need. That's really a very simple song, not quite as simple as those lyrics. There are a few more words to the song than that, but the message that is conveyed is, is quite simple. Basically, it conveys that if you have love, everything else in life is easy. There's nothing you can't do that can't be done if you have love. Let me ask what in the world does that really
1: mean? It sounds nice.
0: I guess it sounds nice. But truly, what does it mean? You see, as one commentator put it, he said, words are sometimes like coins. The more they are in circulation, the more they tend to wear out. The word love is like that. There's something odd about a word like love when it can be used for how you feel about your wife, your favorite sports team, a hobby, your enemy, and baked beans. I mean, think about it. Now we hear slogans and we we see them plastered everywhere. Love is love. But honestly, that's not very helpful or insightful, and it really says nothing at all. If I walked around with a sign that said, chocolate is chocolate, you don't think I'm crazy, because the, one of the first things we're taught as a kid is you don't define a word by a word, by the same word. It doesn't really mean anything. It doesn't convey anything. It seems to me that there's a, a great deal of confusion about love. You know, maybe another song lyric, what's love got to do with it? What's love but a secondhand emotion? Or we could go back into the well of DC Talk, and they told us all that love is a serious word. Hey, I think it's time you learned. I don't care what they say. I don't care what you heard the word love. Love is a verb. Come on. More of you know that than that. Love is a verb, right? And so there's apparently a lot of ideas as to what love is. But nonetheless, even though the word is is used and and probably overused in many ways, I do think that we intuitively know that love is important. Love is important. It's it's a good thing to love and to be loved. We we long for that. We long to be loved. And John tells us, he even tells us in in the text that we just read, is that love is actually a test of one's Christian faith. Love is essential, love directed rightly and rightly understood. So this morning, as we look to Scripture and the the command that believers have been given to love, we'll see that love is that essential aspect to our faith. We're going to see it this morning, it's what John emphasizes in this passage, and really throughout this letter, he emphasizes love. And we're going to do this by seeing two things, seeing this call that he issues, and the call is to know the commandment and to keep the commandment. So very simple, to know the commandment and to keep the commandment. So we're going to read again the first two verses of this section. And as I do, I want you to listen for some repeated words. It's always helpful as you study Scripture to to see what is repeated. Where is their repetition? And and even before that, notice the first word, beloved. The term of endearment, it's a term of affection. He deeply cares for those to whom he is writing. So listen again to these first two verses, verses seven and eight. Beloved, I am writing you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have heard. At the same time, it is a new commandment that I am writing to you, which is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. Hopefully it's It's fairly easy to see some of this repetition. You see commandment four times. He says, I am writing to you twice. New and old are both used twice. And then true and darkness, you'll start to see those a lot more as we go through verses 9 through 11. But this repetition serves for John to help get his point across. He wants to make clear what he is addressing. However, in reading this, you might also be wondering a little bit if John is okay. If maybe John had a little too much wine with dinner before he wrote this part of Scripture. Because he tells you, one, that it's a new commandment, then it's not a new commandment, it's an old commandment, but then it's a new commandment. And you're like, what, what is it, John? What's going on here? Well, he does say it's an old commandment that they have had from the beginning. I think we can look at that and say that there's, there's continuity with what was before, with the old covenant and what John is now writing but what does it correspond to? We could think of very early commands like Deuteronomy 6.5, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And also Leviticus 19.18, you shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. Jesus himself, in Matthew 22, was asked by a lawyer, it came up, the lawyer came up to him and said, Teacher, which is the greatest commandment? In verse 37, it says, Jesus said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. So we, we see the significant role this command has had, or these, these commands to love have had in the life of God's people in the old covenant, and that remained with the coming of Christ. He affirmed it. He affirmed the, the oldness of this command, that it's there, it, but also it's the fact that it is old, and it, is, is the fact that it's old, is that what John means by saying that you've had from the beginning? Perhaps to a degree, but I think it's actually more likely that he's saying this commandment, which he so far hasn't actually defined, we're just inferring from the rest of the text and the rest of the letter, is something that they heard from the very beginning of their belief in Christ, of their coming to faith in Christ. This commandment was made known to them alongside the gospel of grace. And you see this further further clarified where he writes, the old commandment is the word that you have heard. They've heard it from the time they heard the message of the gospel. So, along with the gospel, as the message of the love of God, was the call to love others. So, with the message of the gospel came that call to love. So, it's an old commandment. We can establish that. There's an oldness to it. But how is it also new? John 13 34. Jesus says, A new commandment I give to you that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. Then a bit further on in John's Gospel, we read in 15.12, This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. So how is it new again? Because he says it's new, but we know it's already an old commandment. The newness is that it is a love as Christ has loved. The newness is that it's a love following in the pattern of our Savior. We are to imitate our Savior. John is telling us that this commandment is not new or novel like much of what the false teachers were saying. A lot of what they brought up was very new, very novel. It's this shiny, happy thing kind of thing, but it's not good. But there is a newness to it in this because it is of how Christ shaped this command in his life and his ministry. If you look at the next phrase in 1 John, it says, you know, it says, which is true in him and in you, which is true in him and in you. The newness about this command is the model of Jesus. It's the the breadth, the degree, the emphasis. Jesus has come and there is greater love shown, the, the ultimate picture of love. He is the perfect example and display of love. That's, that's the newness in many ways. So this command is true in Christ. He displayed love without fail. We, we know that his message was exclusive, right? He says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. But his love was wonderfully inclusive. He loved close friends like Mary and Martha and Lazarus and his disciples but even loved a a wayward young man who was caught up in his riches. You know, he cried out in love from the cross, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. He cried out in love in regard to them. He loved his enemies. He loved sinners. We read earlier as an assurance of pardon in the service from Romans 5, and I want to back up to verse 6 where Paul wrote, For while we were still weak at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us. And that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And further, consider what Jesus taught in the Sermon on the Mount. Towards the end of chapter 5 in Matthew Do not even the Gentiles do the same. You must, you therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. He's calling us to a perfect love, a love uh, uh, across the board. His commandment was true and is true in Christ. But John also tells us, he says, which is true in him and in you. John sees the message of the gospel of grace bearing fruit in the lives of his readers. In their attitudes and actions, they're showing this to be true. He's saying, this, is, this command is actually being realized in you, in your lives. He's seeing the evidence that the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. The darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. In John 12, 46... Our Lord said, I have come into the world as light so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. The eyes are opened. The darkness is beginning to pass away. He's seen that realized. Another commentator said that Christians love because what is true in Jesus is now true in us. Christ is the vine, we're the branches. If we truly abide in him, we will bear fruit, especially the fruit of love. In and through Christ, who was the fulfillment of the law, we fulfill the law of love, which is you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Folks, in loving, we see the darkness passing away. We see it fading. When I was at Presbytery this, not yesterday, but the week before, on New City's pulpit, there's a little saying written in the corner. Uh, there's actually one on either side, but the, the one on the right side says, tear a little corner off the darkness. I love that so much because it's, it's a reminder to those who preach, this is your job. Tear a little corner off the darkness. Show, the herald the love of Christ to those who hear. And in doing so, in heralding that love, in proclaiming his love, and in people coming to know that love, you have done just that. You've torn a little corner off the darkness. This is the commandment. It is old and yet new. Though not really all that new as we've seen. It's a command to love, to love like Christ. And living in this commandment, following it, heeding it, obeying it, will work to dispel the darkness. Okay, that's good. It's one thing to know the commandment, right? One thing to know it, it's another to keep it. And our keeping of it serves as a test
1: for our knowing the Lord. Look at verse 9 again. We'll read through the end of
0: this section. Whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother, abides in the light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he's going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. One thing you can see is you can see this repetition again, can't you? Darkness, I think that comes through pretty strongly, as well as true and other things. Here's the test. Here's the test. Now, this test, as we know from John's purpose in many ways in his letter, is to reassure believers. This is a way to help give assurance to believers that they are in the Lord, that they know the Lord. But this test will also serve to prick the conscience if one seems to be failing that test. To deal with a conscience that's not seared, that's not hardened. Hardened. And so, the test starts, what he starts with in verse 9 is a claim. Whoever says he is in the light, okay? So, you have someone who claims to be with Christ, to, who claims to be in the light, so to be living in the light, but, but there is a twist here because the text continues, right? Whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness, so rather than being evidence of living in the light here, there's actually evidence of still being in the darkness. The evidence of, uh, is hate of one's brother. If you hate your brother, he's saying you are still in darkness. Now one question you may have is in relation to the extent of the word brother here. It's pretty clear that John uses this to refer to fellow believers. He's talking about fellow Christians. That's the focus of his letter, of relationships between Christians. But I will say this, that just because John focuses on love of the brethren, in no way serves to contravene Jesus' teaching that we're to love our enemies and love our neighbors as well who aren't believers. John's focus in this letter is on the implications and demands of the gospel in relation to the community of believers. His focus is intentional because of the disturbance that's being caused by these false teachers. So that's his primary concern, but it does not remove the call to love neighbor and enemy and others. It, it, it's his focus in this letter on the call to love the brethren. Now, another thing in here is John doesn't define hate. He doesn't tell us what hate is. And there, there's a sense in which I, I think this is almost like uh, back in 1964 when Supreme Court Justice Potter Stewart was uh, one of the justices on a, on a big trial dealing with obscenity and pornography, and they were asked to define pornography and obscenity, and he, and he said it's, it's almost impossible to give an, an accurate definition, but then his phrase was, I know it when I see it. I know it when I see
1: it. Because we may not be able to perfectly
0: define hate, and John didn't define it for us here, but we know it when we see it. We know it when we see it. It's a failure to love, and not in an emotional sense of the word that I—it's a failure to have feelings towards someone, but it's in attitude and behavior towards a fellow believer, in attitude and behavior towards a fellow believer— but I can't stop there because what
1: John is writing here, folks, it's serious.
0: This is very serious. This is, this is dire in many ways. This is something we all need to slow down and consider.
1: We live in a world that does not love well.
0: We live in a world that hates and backbites Gaslights and doxes and all these other new fangled words that people use. We don't live in a world defined
1: by love. And so that hatred can
0: enter into our lives. One commentator wrote these very penetrating words. He said, when we as Christians become angry with a brother or sister in Christ, we are not careful That anger over time can turn into resentment that, left unchecked, can give birth to hatred. It poisons our entire Christian life. I find it interesting in the Sermon on the Mount that Jesus equates killing with hating your brother. He goes on, he says, as a pastor, I've heard Christian teenagers sometimes say, I hate so and so. Adults say it sometimes too. Those words should never pass across the lips of a Christian. and They won't if they are never found in our heart
1: in the first place hate is serious hate is dark and disturbing it's it's disorienting there's hate in your life there is an aspect where there is darkness it may not be the full tenor of your life. If you're a believer in Christ, it, it won't be the full tenor of your life. But there's a portion that's dark and sick. And if that's true, at least what we have here is a call to repentance. A call to
0: repentance. That, that's the least, and, and we'll get to that a little bit more but John is also insinuating here that, that one who says they are in the light, but they, they consistently, they actively hate their brother, they should seriously examine whether they are actually in the light. That's the seriousness of it. You don't just throw it off and go, well, yeah, whatever. That's the wrong, that's not a humble and contrite spirit.
1: That's not a, a spirit that trembles at the word of God. You have to take a look at this seriously. So just know that we, we can't go on like that. We can't say we're
0: in the light and yet hate our brother. It's evidence that there's at least darkness, if not that we're living in darkness and outside of the light. Then comes the counter that John gives in verse 10.
1: Whoever loves his brother abides in the light. And
0: in him there is no cause for stumbling. Loving a brother is evidence of being uh, and of, of abiding in the light, of remaining. It's, 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 it's remaining there, it's staying, and it's resting in Christ who is the light of the world. Now, this is not saying, I, I will say this, this is not saying that, only, that, that um, only those in Christ can love. But it is saying that those who are in Christ do love. Okay? So those who love, it's it's not saying that those who love, all those who love are in Christ. No. But what it is saying is that those who are in Christ, all should love. Okay? And though John, again, doesn't define the term, doesn't define the term love, Scripture does. Of course, we have the example of love in Jesus and of His giving of His life and His teaching and His care and, and so much about who He is. But also there's, Beautiful passage, 1 Corinthians 13. It's familiar, but listen to how important love is. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, if I do some amazing things, but have not love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. I tell you, you can just read through those. Love is not irritable or resentful and on and on. And if you're wondering if you have something to confess, just read through this. Because my guess is you've been irritable or resentful.
1: You've envied or boasted, You've been rude might even have rejoiced at wrongdoing.
0: This is calling us into the direction of love, into the way of love, into the way of light. Love is essential.
1: And when you look at verse 10 again,
0: whoever loves his brother abides in the light and in him there is no cause for stumbling. That last phrase is a bit tricky to determine exactly what John meant. The word translated stumbling is the word scandalon. Scandalous is where we get that word scandalous. Uh, and in the New Testament, this word tends to refer to something that causes another person to stumble. Okay? Now, our English translations, I think probably every English translation that I've seen, says, in him there is no cause. So in him. But it could actually say, in it. There is no cause for stumbling. It could mean that in the light, there is no cause for stumbling in the light. The one who abides in the light, there is absolutely nothing in following the light and loving that causes you to stumble. But it could, you know, that, that's very true. It's also extremely obvious. Okay, that's why we flick on a light when we're walking through a forest, because we don't want to stumble. We know that if we follow the light and, and, and walk in that path, we won't stumble. The light will not do that. It illuminates where we won't. So there, there is the other option, the former sense, where it would mean that there's nothing in the Christian who is abiding in the light and therefore loving others that would bring about stumbling either in him or herself or in others. That's the way our English translations take it, and I think that's a good way to do so because the context of this passage is the command to love others, isn't it? It's the command to love others. It seems most likely to take it in the sense of that there is nothing in the person who is in the light, the person who abides in the light, there's nothing in them that will cause them, if they are abiding in the light, that would even cause them to stumble or cause anyone else to stumble.
1: Nothing that would entice us or
0: someone else to act in a manner contrary to God's will. And in some ways, this is John taking a clear shot across the bow at the false teachers and saying, just just so you know, what you're teaching is enticing them to go away from God's will, it's enticing them to stumble. Because love seeks what is best, it puts that forth for others, even when it's difficult. Love does not mean do whatever you want. Love means help people not to stumble
1: and go against God's will. So we hear all these phrases in our world about love,
0: but so much of it is not love. It's pandering, and it's a fear, and it's actually, if you look at it and you let people go off into things that are against God's will, it's actually hate. Love will work to see people walk in God's will and God's ways because it knows and and the person who loves knows that's what's best. Then comes the final contrast in verse 11. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he's going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. And here you see a progression in the one who hates his brother. First, They're in the darkness. We've already established that, right? They're in the dark. They reside in darkness. Therefore, if they reside in darkness, where do they walk? In darkness, right? So if you reside in it, you walk in it. That means they live in accord with the darkness. And finally, if you're in the dark all the time, you have no idea where you're going. You know, a lot of times I wake up early and I get up and walk out, and sometimes there's things in the hallway, but I haven't turned on a light. I kind of know where I'm going, but there's sometimes things in front of me, and I stumble across those. You, you just, if it's completely dark, you're in darkness. You're in darkness. You, can, you stumble, because you don't know where you're going. There, there's a blindness to that, because there's no light, and their eyes have been blinded to darkness. There's actually some deep-sea um, fish really deep, that have gotten to the point where they have no eyes anymore because they've been in the darkness so long.
1: I don't want people to get to that point
0: where they've lived and resided in darkness. This is so true of false teachers. They're blind guides. Their false teaching is not loving because it leads people away from the truth from the light and into the darkness. It's Because as I said, it's hatred of others leading into falsehood is hatred. Not confronting falsehood is hatred.
1: We're called to more.
0: In John 13, and we read verse 34, right? A new commandment I give to you that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. But then there's the next verse. By this, all people will know
1: that you are my disciple. You have love for one another, which is true in him and in you. People will know we're disciples if we love one another. How do we
0: both show and know that we are in Christ? One key metric is our love. Not the only metric, but it is one key metric. Are we seeking each other's best and serving and helping to break, um, uh, uh, helping to to care for them by our love? So that's my question.
1: As we wrap up, how are you at loving others? Your spouse? Your kids? Your parents, your siblings, your brothers and sisters in Christ. I'll be honest, this was a convicting week. This is a hard passage. Beautiful passage, but it's, it's not easy. That's
0: good. <laughs> That's good. That's the Word of God and the Spirit of God. That's what they do in our lives. They show us our Savior, and as long as we're honest, they show us where we're falling short and where we're abiding in idolatry rather than in Christ. So then, I said I'd get to this, it's an opportunity for repentance an opportunity for repentance, to go to the Lord, to, to, to repent and to rest, to find grace and relief in our lives. It's an opportunity to enter into the love of Christ more and more deeply in order to give love more and more freely. Folks, you will never give
1: love freely until you've learned how to receive it freely from the Lord. I know it sounds
0: cliche, but you can't give away what you don't have. You need it from Jesus to truly love, to love in a way that is unselfish and giving. and, 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 and Yeah, we need it from Jesus.
1: We need it from him.
0: And the last thing I'll say is, this is not a suggestion. John didn't write... This is a new suggestion. No, no, it's not a new suggestion. It's an old suggestion. No, it's a new suggestion. No, he said it's a commandment. Love your brother and sister in Christ. Love your brother and sister in Christ. To do that, like I said, we need Christ. That's the beauty of being, uh, the, the phrase, that we're in Christ as believers. We have been united to him. We looked at it a while ago in Philippians, that we have as believers the mind of Christ. Colossians says, when Christ, who is your life, appears, he is our life. We are in him and we must turn to him, rely upon him, rest in his work in our lives. We we need the mind of Christ. So take the time, take the time, pray, examine your life of love. Is it evident? Is it proclaiming that you are in the light? And, And where it's not, rest in this fact. Jesus has loved you as his child perfectly and always will. And in him, you have the strength and the power and the grace to love and to see it more and more realized in your life. Let's
1: pray. Father, we thank you for your grace in our lives, how you've loved us and cared for us, how you delight in us. Lord, we
0: ask that you would grow love in us. That you would help us to know your love more and more deeply. That we would display it more and more clearly in our lives. We pray in Christ's
1: name. Amen.